You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover Magic, the Gathering Finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. Um, hi everyone. Welcome to the newest episode of the Cabalcast. This week we're doing something that's kind of turning into an annual tradition, where we've now reviewed 2022, yes. and now we are in 2023. Mm -hmm. So we are going to scream into the sky about how great it would be if Wizards did the things or Hasbro did the things we want them to, and then we'll lament the things that they are actually going to do in the real world, because that's where we live. Yes. Let's get started. Yeah. So for me, what I'm really looking forward to in 2023 is a robust and clear organized play roadmap. I don't need <sighs> their strategy. I just want the roadmap for 2023 yeah. because we finally have a pro tour back. Worlds kind of fell flat, but what's the plan to build it all back up? regional rcqs regional championship qualifiers whatever you want to call them and that's are great uh, there's the goal of worlds that's there but op is still hugely lacking otherwise there's no interim events to kind of walk you towards worlds we have an idea of how to qualify but without magic fests or mythic championships it seems rather difficult to even imagine what's going to happen with worlds there's also a little to no engagement with the LGS ecosystem outside of traveling from one to the next for the RCQs. So I'd like to see more focused local events with impact. Things like game day and all that kind of fluff don't really cut it. They just bring like casuals in or people who want a place yeah. to play. They're not really for the OP system. And I'd like continued hype for high end op so the sizzle reels that we got for philly were great it used a lot of a30 yep. footage or whatever you want to call it from vegas so i'm hoping that we Fine. got there kind of carries through with the sets and the themes they put forth at that event and i hope that what we saw at vegas like we've talked about previously is the culmination of the magic festival or the magic fest experiment they figured yeah. it out this is what it's going to be and now we're going to iterate and make it bigger so that's the first thing is this robust and clear op roadmap with a little bit of hype the second thing i dovetails perfectly and that's more engagement with the lgs ecosystem to promote constant play now elo and pwp kept people coming back into the LGS. And for those that don't know, ELO is the chess rating system or was the chess rating system where you would get points on a multiplier based on your results of a given matchup and your opponent's ELO score. So it was rather difficult and sometimes promoted some very mm, intricate play and decision-making pre, uh. during, and post matches. So as an aside to the ELO system, this was one of the issues. Uh, there was once a time where at a friendly neighborhood game shop run by one ogre, uh, we figured out how we could get three people to queue for the Pro Tour in two weeks. So we played 200 matches in one night, according to what uploaded from work. Yep. 
the same thing could could have been done with the planeswalker point system yep. where you could actually grind to the pro tour with an average to middling record at side events at grand prix yeah rather than play the main because the multiplier on the side events were just so much better but both of those systems expen- uh, extended into the lgs and when that op roadmap was there it gave players a reason to come back to the yep. lgs because they were getting points that accrued that got them buys that could qualify them I'd also yep. like to see something along the lines of the old Grand Prix Trials or Pro Tour qualifiers, even something like the Star City IQs come back because those kept people coming into the LGS to play. It didn't matter the format. These events led somewhere, so people would yep. come back and engage. Conspiracy drafts and game day, again, don't keep people coming back. They're nice to haves, but they are not really what brings in your constant player base. OP needs a foundational pillar at the LGS system that keeps people returning to their quote dedicated store to enable both growth and long-term survivability of an OP system because casual players need to be converted into competitive players and people aren't just going to drive to RCQs if they aren't already entrenched in competitive play. So there's this huge gap between what's happening and where with OP and where OP wants to be. And I think these two points sync up really well together. They are different enough that WotC does need to focus on them differently. But these are the two things that I really hope we see in 2023. Yeah, and I think the important thing, too, is the... The old OP program was really good because it showed a very thorough understanding of the relationship between the LGS, the secondary market, player retention, and goals. Because you actually had, here's my target. This is my goal. This is what I am shooting for. And you could still have your guys that, you know what? I just want to be the FNM end boss. Cool. That's it. That's all I want to do. But it made the game accessible for everyone because you had your pre-releases, your stuff, like game days like we have now, which, as you touched on, that's not your entrenched active players that's your like hey man i'm gonna go play and now i'm an invisible we talk about it all the time those are where the invisibles come out and having that op system because this is something i would love to see and this was one of the things i was looking for was the fact that look huey's been there for like a year now yeah there's no reason that huey and his team shouldn't be able to sometime soon i hope Give us a roadmap of what organized play is going to look like. Tell us what it continues to look like in the future. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I'll be honest, uh, I've run in the past six months about four pauper 1K pluses. In two weeks, I'm running a pauper event that has four duels to top four and one of every fetch land to fifth through eighth with store credit payout for everyone beyond 20. That's a lot of stuff for a store to put up with and have to do to keep the competitive community alive without some sort of help from Wizards of the Coast. Mm-hmm. When Wizards of the Coast put a system in, like you touched on, I'm going to F&M and getting points. Cool. You don't do anything. You play the game. Yeah. You do the thing you want to do anyways, and you get there. I'm looking forward to seeing some sort of engagement with organized play at the LGS level because the premium program hasn't really shown many dividends for LGSs. Cool. I get to sell Dom Remastered a week early. I get to have a Dom R pre-release. I invested tens of thousands to upgrade my store for that. That's not worth it. So getting back to OP would be great. 
I would also like to see, Mm -hmm. and I am hoping because this has been kind of the communication with the earnings calls, with what Mero has said, with what has been going on on Twitter, you've gotten a lot more transparency, which I never thought would happen, uh, at least about bannings with formats. The article came out from the Pauper Committee where they were like, look, we are actually looking at the artifact lands now. I would. I am looking forward to more transparency in terms of how they're running the game itself, the competitive side of it, whatever you want to call it. Yep. Seeing that as like a signal from people who are employed by Watsi, who have one job from Watsi to look after Pauper, to me indicates maybe we'll be able to get that with Pioneer some, with EDH more, which is probably not happening because Sheldon is him. So pipe dream on that one. That's a dream later. That's the other thing that I'm really looking forward to because that actually lets people become more invested in the format because you are saying you care about me as a player Mm -hmm. because you have taken the time out of your day as an organization that manufactures this game and runs some kind of organized play. This is where our head is at. Mm -hmm. This is what we're thinking for this format. And it's something we get when they make ban announcements But I can't recall ever, and I don't know if you can, them coming out and saying, hey, we're thinking about doing this, and this is why. At least in relation to a ban. I don't ever remember them doing that ahead of time and saying, hey, we're considering this. I think the only time might have been Cobblade, where they were like, we're looking at like this and this and this and this. Yeah. And we will figure it out and let you know. And that just gave people the the idea that like if i'm gonna play this deck i only have a certain amount of time left or like shove somebody by all of this yeah and i i think that's fine because then it you avoid a little bit of the feels bad because it's not like oh i place tested flash forever and then two weeks beforehand they're like oh sorry it's banned oh okay well i get to play it for one event cool like having that little bit of leeway makes me feel more invested as a player because now the company is invested in me that's just a good feeling, and there's not a whole lot of that around Magic lately. Um, the other thing I am looking forward to uh, is the fact that uh, over the next year, we're probably going to get around 140 releases, all things told. Uh, Alta Fox is going to be proven right about everything, and I'm going to be laughing about it because if I wasn't, I would be crying. Yeah, I think... Almost all of that is correct. The uh, the MTG Goldfish podcast last week or the week before was talking about the number of commanders released in 2022. I think and it was like 30 percent of all commanders ever. Yeah, or something. It was nuts. Yeah, and if you don't count the ones that you can't play, um, so the data set included everything. All of them, all legends, all, all yep. planeswalkers. But that means that the Unfinity stuff was in there, and there's some arena only stuff. So when you look at it from a paper rule set perspective, you cut a little out. But yeah, it is still a ridiculous number. And then it was like one point, or like a release every almost two days or every three yeah. days or something like that. When you when you break it all down, and that is ridiculous but leans into everything we've heard from Alta Fox, from Hasbro at the top level, and from Mara, which is just like, we're making a billion dollars, who cares? And Alta Fox is like we do, because sometimes it does matter how you make that billion dollars. And yeah. the, they're kind of <laughs> deaf to it. But There are no signs we're overprinting? What is wrong with you? What, what's the matter? Product is rotting? Never knew it. The 
I will say about the the engagement with players and the community at a writ large about bannings also aids the LGS and the vendor ecosystem because you can lend your power to those players that are scared that yep. their deck is going to be banned and maintain your rapport with them by buying appropriately or helping them move things yep. around or shift into other decks because not everybody is able to have more than one deck in a given format. So it gives somebody the opportunity to shift ahead of time instead of having a rug pull, which is yeah. a, a real feel bad. Especially when you have a format that is being highlighted by a play season or that is being pushed for another reason where you just start seeing the cracks in the format form and Watsy begins pasting over them you know, once every couple of weeks with a ban. That is very difficult for a lot of people. And mm -hmm. that friction often means that you're going to see a lot of detachment from that format for the time being. Yeah. So anything else you're hopeful for in 2023 or shall we start yelling at clouds? Yes, let's. let's. Okay. So uh, my dream for the future, I know this isn't 2023 possible because it's, this is about set releases. Yeah, we know what we're getting. We Exactly. The it's, minimum we're getting. It's all locked into minimum. It's all locked into place, right? So 2023 is not the time for this to happen, but I would love if they just slowed the fuck down in 2024. Six standard sets in a year is overkill and it's a cash grab. It's extremely difficult for players to engage with the product meaningfully and I think that's really important. Standard yep. is most likely still a format, but do people play it? I don't know. Do they grind to Mythic every month after buying into another set via a horrendous wildcard system? Maybe. Who's buying into Standard to play in paper? I don't know. Yeah. And I also imagine this creates huge burnout and churn at WotC because there's no time to breathe between set launches. You can't watch your product succeed or fail. The lessons that one learns from this aren't visible immediately they're visible in the long term but somebody else some analyst has to give them to you because you can't watch it yep. there's nothing meaningful about that release anymore it's just another one you can't take your victory lap you can't pick up a passion project it's just on to the next standard set and it is yep. i imagine very difficult to do that yeah the the big thing is Especially with standard, you know, and the entire history of magic, it's mm -hmm. always, oh, I don't want to play standard. I just have to get rid of all my cards. Yes. Okay. Right. Well, if I have to get rid of my cards every two months or I have to get new cards every two months, mm -hmm. how can I actually like do this? Yes. It, 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 it's so counterintuitive. Yes. And I would love to go back to, look, we're going to draft this set for two, for three months. And then the next set comes out, and you know what? If the draft environment is bad on that standard set, cool. Have one supplemental set, two a year, and maybe I'll fit in a draft of the supplemental set to go with it. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Yep. Now, Everyone can do that. The last bullet point I have about this, about slow the fuck down when it comes to standard set releases, is this. The sets do not play together meaningfully. And I use that word a lot in this discussion, but again, I'm going to highlight here. They do not play together meaningfully. And what's a great example? Well, conveniently, there is a storm scale review of Throne of Eldraine through Strixhaven, and in the second part, they discuss the party mechanic in Zendikar. Yeah. And the popularity of this? Unpopular. 
Design space, medium to small, which is what we expect because it's just creature yeah. types. Versatility seen as rigid. Development and play design, problematic. Playability, playability affected. Storm scale, 8. Out of 10, this is with Infect and Storm at the top. And the majority of the notes they have is that Party was seen as too rigid in design because it required support from the sets around it. Yeah, no fucking shit. <laughs> yeah. That's not hindsight. That's design oversight. That's had they literally from the dawn of the game. Yeah, had they focused on meaningful interaction between sets instead of like the now whatever this like single set block paradigm is, they probably would have treated party a lot differently, and people wouldn't have viewed it so poorly. It most likely wouldn't have been problematic from a design standpoint because it's just four creature types that they are leaning super hard into, but just not making interact in a meaningful way. I think this is a really good endemic spotlight the party yep. mechanic just relies on creature types and they couldn't get it to work well enough to not be difficult to design around creature types that are all attached to the human like super type of creature types you want to think about it that way that is the most common creature type among creatures in the game four they just couldn't get it to work because they don't design sets to work together because they're just cranking them out we're on to the next theme. What was the last set? Don't know. Mechanics doesn't matter. Do they need to work together? Fuck it. We're not drafting them as a block anymore. Who cares? And I think it's all part of a larger problem. It rolls back up to what you said. And the solution is really just slow the fuck down. Yep. Just a little bit. Yeah. I. It's really frustrating because outside of Capenna, I don't know what any of the limited event limited formats have been like in the last two years. And I only know no about idea. Capenna because it was so rancid. Yeah, yeah. I, exactly. I, just because it was so bad. Yeah. That's all I know. Yeah. Like, I, I've played every limited format for like a week, and then it's on to the next one. Like, yeah. well, whatever, I don't really care. Yep. Now, the other bullet point I have is just a, two notes about variants. The first, the first note starts out with, as a vendor, I hate variants. It's an overwhelming number of SKUs. Determining what product to pick up and how is extremely difficult, and that's sealed versus singles. Do we just invest in sealed to pop? Do we just buy the singles we're going to need based on what people are looking at, uh, looking into? And most importantly, I don't know how to handle inventory levels. What versions of what cards do we need to keep on hand? I don't know. How do we insulate ourselves from high-impact imp reprints? I don't know. And examples of this are risk study churns at a given rate so we keep on hand that rate in quantity plus a buffer yep. when it's announced as a reprint now that churn rate tanks price and sales velocity drop and we're left sitting on possibly illiquid inventory fantastic yeah and as a single instance this is not an issue but when it happens consistently throughout a year it becomes a cascading problem it really really sucks there are solutions to a lot of these. It's all analytical, but if you don't even stand up the SKUs on your website to allow people to find these cards, you're not going to see what people are searching for, what they're interested in. And now you move away f less from being a vendor that can serve a product and more into being like a marketing agency that's trying to determine how people are flowing through your website. And it is, exactly, that face is appropriate. It is not yep. fun. As a player, though, in the immortal words of Kronk from the Emperor's New Groove, bring it on. 
I love variants. I'll reskin the I'll reskin reskin the crap out of this game <laughs> to make my time engaging with it much more enjoyable. And to this, truly, fuck the secondary market. Like that's what's happening. It just it's an absolute fuck fest. Yeah, it's terrible. I uh, my my big dream, honestly, I I would love. Nothing would make me happier. Well, there are a few things that would make me happier. Nothing with magic would make me happier than if Wizards just got to be its own thing. No association with Hasbro. We're breaking up. Look, you can whatever you want to do. Uh, You want to just be a parent company. You want us to be independent. We're buying our way out. Whatever. I don't care. I just want them to not be beholden to what Hasbro wants them to do because mm-hmm. it's clearly not good. It's not working. So why bother? I, I just don't see a reason for it. Uh, now, I'm also... I would like to see with that mm-hmm. uh, going back to old release schedules. Let's get our three, four standard sets a year, have our two supplementals, and go back to what I think was economically one of the healthiest times in Magic in terms of design. Mm-hmm. Because I get it. You're trying to please a million people out here. We have so many new players coming in from Arena. We don't know how many. You won't tell us. But we believe you when you say there's a whole lot of new players. Uh, I get that you need to please those people. But let's try to let Wizards do its thing the way it did for 15 years. When the game was growing. And sure. Sure. Mistakes were made. Yep. Chronicles was released. Damage stopped using the stack. Uh, slivers, I guess, people thought were a mistake. Whatever. You let the game grow through it, rather than forcing this design on what's going on. Yeah. And I just, I would love to see Hasbro just take a hands-off approach and just let Wizards run with its money, invest its money what it wants to invest its money in and then throw you know data check periodically and says hey here's your you know residuals dividends whatever this is what we owe you the rest we're reinvesting in ourselves you can do whatever you want with this money hasbro you want to like license uh transformers power rangers flashlight go for it we're gonna invest in magic and do our thing uh along with that i would love to see and this is a little off topic for the general podcast I really want them to stop with the OGL. Uh, just let yeah. let it go. That whole thing is a disaster. We're not going to cover it here. Just look into it. That is another one of those Hasbro moves that is just infuriating to me. And I would love to see them be hands off. D and D's under monetized. Cool. Maybe make the fucking show you've been working on for four years, or the movie that you were gonna make five years ago. Yeah, well, look. Eventually, that Chris Pine movie is gonna come out. It's been filmed, edited. It's in the can. Unlike the Magic Show, which I don't think ever started. No. So I, I don't think it exists anymore. At least they have their like third D and D movie done. Yeah. I do. It would be nice though to see them be. March thirty first. That's when it comes out. There you go. If they were less hands-on with D&D to make it easier for players to engage with a product that Watsy should know is now international and being utilized primarily as a digital 
like a game, yeah. then it would curry a lot more favor than just swinging through and slowly essentially C&Ding all these, all these sites, all these module creators, all these supplement creators. I was talking to somebody over the weekend about Owlbear. Yeah. They use that for their, their character. No, their character sheets are done somewhere else, but they use Owlbear for like their terrain display and some other yeah. stuff. For like, who knows? Owlbear, that, that's, a, that's a thing from within the D&D universe. If they do nothing more than allow you to just move like bricks along a little path... They could still get a CND because of the name, the way this thing's going. Who knows? Yeah. And it is, yeah, it seems more detrimental to the game than helpful. Yeah. Like it, it seems like another way that we're making bad investments and we want to recoup. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody else gets to pay for it. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. Unless they're going to literally buy everything and f- digitize D&D and then reset the license and say, go forth and, yeah. and do what you will. But that still doesn't seem like they're going to curry any favor with anyone over this. Like. No. It's ridiculous. All right. Anything else before picks? Picks. All right. I'm going to go first this week. Now, the, the card I'm looking at, I've been looking at for almost a year, uh, close to release date, I think. And we are going to take a look today at the reality chip, just regular set version. Uh, there are a number of ways to engage with this card in terms of variant, but I, for right now, I've just been focusing on the set version because I found the rope that is the price lasting forever pretty interesting finally heading into an upward trend despite what looked like a lot of utility and playability in other formats so when we look at this card back in march of 2022 card kingdom was buying 50 at a dollar and there were 233 lp and near mint listings on tcg player with a market of two dollars 28 as of writing my notes, Card King was buying zero set versions. They are now they are now buying 18 at 50 cents. So the number has been fluctuating there. And on TCG Player, as of taking my notes, there were 192 LP or better listings with a $2.33 market price, which has now gone up to about $3. When you look at the reality chip in terms of commander playability, you look at it as a card in the 99 it's not a commander and that needs to be stated up top this is not good enough to be a commander despite the fact that it is legendary so unless you don't have the time to reconfigure this meaning the keyword because your strategy is too fast to take the time to do that this should be included in almost every blue deck and sorry almost every deck involving blue or every blue deck however you want to phrase that sentence this is the blue vizier of the menagerie This is uh, and other similar effects, just letting you play off the top. Now, as far as format information for this is concerned, this is a tale of two formats. We'll start up top, and Modern Hammer Time does utilize this card, though the deck itself is split between color variants, Mono White and Azor. Azor features the reality chip in the sideboard, but it's only a one-of, and it's going to be a value engine for longer games. It's not going to be played in the the combo matchup it's not going to be played in the mid-range matchup so while this is a driver i don't suspect it's the primary driver for this card within commander however this is a true blue value engine with minimal requirement you can combo out with this it can extend your hand one well it does extend your hand one extra card and it can even be a commander albeit a bad one and this can all be done while allowing you to play lands and spells from the top of your library with no type restriction. So 
it doesn't say instants or sorceries or creatures you may play lands and cast spells from the top of your library this is the best vizier of the menageries we've ever seen the when the most played commander list is a little interesting it's a veritable who's who of blue base commanders and it leads into the idea that this card is truly agnostic in the color blue you have aggressive equipment based commanders you have combo commanders commanders that care about where you cast your spells spells from and whatever nero wild mage is doing and the list just keeps going yeah and this all leans into the fact that this is a card that can and most likely should be included in any base blue deck right now we see it in, in about five percent of all command of the six hundred and seventy thousand commander decks that can play it so that rounds roughly to thirty four thousand entries and i think that's too low and it hides the true driver for this card, which is something I've been trying to figure out for the better part of a year and why I haven't talked about this in the last like two or three weeks when we started actually seeing this card sell because I couldn't track it down. I legitimately couldn't figure out where the glut of population was going because modern driver is not great enough no. and it's not like this is just taking over EDH Rex. So there's something else going on. I don't quite think it's the Invisibles. It's definitely not standard or pioneer, so I wanted to hold off, but now's the time. When we look at the the price, sorry, back up a step. Timeline on the card. When we look at the market price, like we did earlier, it's holding fairly steady, but supply continues to drain, so we want to get in before an upcoming price adjustment. Right now, we're seeing about 500 near mint sales a month and 150 LP sales a month. As of taking my notes, there were 182 near mint copies over 101 vendors, so that's roughly 1.8 copies per vendor. There were 32 LP copies over 15 vendors. That leaves 116 near mint and LP foils left behind to fill out the rest of the stock. Near mint, sorry, uh, moderate play, heavy play, and damage stock is almost non-existent on this card. So I don't even think they were ever listed. Nobody's really just decided to rub this card against the side of their house or anything yet now ck did drop their buy list on the set nine foil non-foil to zeros like i mentioned on top but it was the only non-foil version they had in stock at the time and it was listed at three dollars and 49 cents for three copies they also had the alt art the promo pack and the full art at ones and twos and that was it now they're currently zeroed out that's why they're buying more. Somebody zeroed them out in the last zeroed them out in the last couple of days. So that price reset at CK is coming, and this is why I wanted to get ahead of this. So, with the TCG player numbers in front of us, I expect this to be another quick turnaround into the open market, probably three to six months for profit. Because while this is selling with a decent velocity, price is not increasing that much or that quickly. So I think we're looking at that timeline and that does give us time to hold for the possibility of modern regionals, a modern PT, etc. We've been talking about this for a while that we do expect modern in 2023 and hopefully we get the announcement at that point in time so it just gives you a little bit a little bit more time to let this mature. I am uncertain about the lag at Card Kingdom and what buy lists look like in 6 months, but if copies are removed like they were and here's the important part, they're held for play. We'll see an update at CK yeah. that's greater than zero to 50 cents. 
I would expect that to be much further than six months out, though, possibly nine months to a year, because that that quantity just has to disappear. It can't be released back into CK, otherwise they're going to zero it out again. Yeah. Reprint equity. This one is kind of interesting because it's attached entirely to the reconfigure keyword on the card, which we have not received on a storm scale update yet. But I expect it to be pretty low, meaning that they will lean into possibly reprinting it or upcycling it. I imagine it's hard to place in a standard set after we leave Mirrodin, though, but it could pop up in a commander precon fairly easily as it's not attached to a theme, really. Yeah. Reconfigure is just another way to equip something, what they also call the snap on equipment. Uh, passed the storm test, it fared well in the storm test, however you want to think about it. And it seems like this will as well, so upcycling that is definitely a possibility. But it being a legendary creature, because it's a jellyfish, might tie it to Kamigawa. I'm not really sure. I don't think there's a high reprint equity on this thing overall because of all the unique components to it, but I wouldn't be surprised if we got it as a throw into a commander deck later on. Yeah. Will that impact demand? No, I don't think so. I just think this card's going to keep on trucking as people realize how good it is. It's kind of like the Midnight Clock. It's like once people caught on, that card just kind of went. Great hinge. Yeah. Another one. Buy quantity. If you're looking to buy in at 40 cents above market... Sorry, if you're looking to buy in now, you're looking at basically like buying in quantity 40 cents above market, and that is currently climbing if you're looking at vendors with quantity four or more. So it is a little bit pricey. And if you're looking at individual prices, it can easily be a dollar over market as you start picking them up. So you really have to decide where you want to sit. And if you can get in between $3 and $3.50, I think it's an easy pickup for like 12 for the long run. I don't know how this would fare locally at your shops because, you know, Neo is just printed. This card is probably still in cases. So this might just be a toss it in a box and wait. I don't think this is going to be a take it out and display it kind of card unless yeah. you decide to pick up some of the alt arts and stuff which as we've seen at ck we're finally zeroed out and the velo on them at tcg players you know pretty choice as well uh i think 12 is fine that's you know a 60 to 75 dollar investment over the next six to nine months that if you follow the trend on tcg player could easily 1.5x to 2x by the time the price lag really catches up yeah. Pretty good. I love this card. I had a lot of things to say, but then you said we're coming up on almost a year. Holy shit. Neon Dynasty came out in February last year. Yeah. Somewhere in there. What the fuck? That was like two weeks ago. Right? That Neo Capenna uh, was in April. Somewhere around there. I remember oh, where... I remember where I was when I put in my pre-orders for Capenna. <clears throat> Kamigawa Neon Dynasty was February... 20th. 18th. Yep. Holy shit. Yeah. So this has been on my list since since then, right? So I've had it on... I... Man. It... Highlighting that point. There are a lot more gems like this now, I think, because of the release calendar. Mm -hmm. If we had the old release calendar, a card like Reality Chip would have taken off. I remember oh, really? when Sphinx of Dwar Isle 
yes. was a $25 card. And it was a two of, and EDH didn't exist. That's the one that draws three cards when it ETBs? No, Sphinx was the first you can look at the top card at any time. Oh, oh, yeah, that one. Okay, it, yeah, it yeah. broke the stack because you could do it at any time. In yes. the middle of resolving a spell. Look at the card. Oh, take a look. <laughs> yep. Reality chip <laughs> is like that, but legendary with a little bit more utility because mm -hmm. I think in this case, not being a creature is better. Yeah. Uh, having that utility in blue is great, except when it has a body because bodies aren't great in blue. No. Uh, Tarmogoyf, Bob, and Stoneforge are some of the best bodies Blue has ever had, but they're not great. I would just put Young good. Pyromancer on that list, too. Yeah, Young, young Peasy is also a top 10 Blue creature. Yeah. Um, I, I will definitely give you that. I think, for me, pound for pound, probably Deathrite, but that's totally that's different. Yeah. Uh, I, I like the pick a lot. I think the reprint equity is pretty low. Uh, like you said, being plain specific is kind of a big deal. Yeah, uh, because it is literally like an iconic piece of neon Kamigawa. So I don't expect that, but maybe they do throw it in just a random EDH deck or who knows one of the 75 secret layers we're getting next year. Yeah. My main concern is I still can't figure out what's pulling this. Where's it going? Yeah. Where's the stock going? It's not like people are buying an insane amount. I mean, there, there was somebody who purchased 56 in a single order, but other than that, it just doesn't it seems like it's just flowing organically and i can't follow it yeah. just yet how where how does it get there i, just, yeah. I don't get it but yep <sighs> my pick yes keeping with what's kind of been tradition for me lately kind of highlighting a little bit of a market trend uh i am picking specifically and this is a mouthful i am sorry guys please hear me out on this retro border foil dominaria remastered street wraith uh, there is, I, I'm going to pull this up because this is one of my favorite posts ever. Uh, this is from an old, the source post that was when street wraith was originally spoiled oh in the dredge forums. Yes. Uh, here it is. Have you looked at street wraith? It is literally gasoline soaked in kerosene covered in napalm. Card's really good. Yeah. This... Uh, it's played as a four of in a lot of formats. This is the first retro border we have of it. Mm -hmm. Now, currently, as of recording, it is sitting at $5 low. It was $50 for the foil when it got spoiled. This is something that I think as we return to more paper play and hopefully get a modern season, uh, for those of you paying attention, Death Shadow is back, guys! So Street, Street Wraith is good again. Mm-hmm. Street Wraith has a habit of just popping up in formats and being really, really good and really, really relevant at various times to great effect. Yep. Uh, it is not an EDH card, which is one of the things that I think is to its detriment. Because right now, $5 for this, 20 for a playset seems great. I'd, quantity, probably about four playsets. Yeah. Thing is, you're really only going to want to move them as four ups. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the old, you know, I and we all do it. Oh, I'm assembling a place out of this card. Oh, this vendor only has two. I'm going to wait. I'm going to go to another vendor. I'm going to wait till I find four. And then eventually you settle up and you just get it however you, you it. have to get it. Yep. But this is the kind of thing that I think is get four play sets. That's 80 bucks. Put it in a box. Wait for a modern announcement. The second we get a modern announcement... I would fully anticipate this card going to at least $20. Now, one of the good analogs to this 
Not that you need to dig it up, but there's a ton of stuff in Time Spiral Remastered that also sees play predominantly in modern. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kiki is a good example, although he sees a lot of play in EDH as well. Uh, but there's plenty in there. Ninja of the Deep Hours is a pauper card. Germag Angler is a great one. Yes. Yeah. The price trajectory on a lot of those cards is, I imagine, going to be very similar to what we will see with Street Wraith, mm-hmm. where it is going to hit this floor. And then, of course, we're going to be massively opened, especially with this set, because there's foil border force of wills. And all of those cards are going to hit a floor, and it's going to tank. And then you pick up, and probably, realistically, 12 to 14 months come next year tax season is when I am absolutely certain we will see a bump in this card with no modern announcement. If we get an OP announcement, and all of a sudden they say, hey... Remember that format everybody used to love Mm -hmm. until we power crept the ever-loving shit out of it? Well, now we're giving you a chance to show us how power crept it is. Play it in organized play. And then all of those staple decks that have been there forever, the established entities, start to come out of the woodwork at your locals, drums up demand for the cards, and that starts with a deck like Death Shadow, which has been the boogeyman of the format off and on for the last, I don't know, when was Modern invented? Whenever that was. Uh... So quantity, again, four sets at most is where I'd be. Reprint equity, I don't think you really have to worry about it outside of a set like a Dominary Remastered. This is not a card that is healthy. No. For for any format, especially limited. It's just not, it does not lend itself to a healthy environment of gameplay. So it has to be relegated primarily to your eternal formats where you have cards on a power level that can deal with it. So you're not going to see it in a standard set. You might see it in a secret layer, but I doubt it's going to be retro border foil, which is what everybody wants because yeah. it's the best. So I don't think you'll see it reprinted. The one thing I would be worried about, and this is something that I guess is always prevalent with decks like Death Shadow If something from that deck were to get banned at some point, Mm -hmm. this card is basically worthless. Uh, Because it doesn't see EDH play. The deck where it primarily sees play, there's two. There's Cycle Storm and Pauper, and there's Death Shadow. Those are the two decks, and rest in peace, Dredge. If you ever come back, I am sure Street Wraith will be happy to join you. Yes. Uh, But for now, it doesn't exist. The other thing to worry about here is if we don't get a modern announcement. Now, realistically, and you may differ... Uh, I don't think there's a way we don't get a modern announcement at some point. Like, we've got to return to that in organized play, right? Yeah. There's no way we don't. It's the premier eternal format. Right? Like, it's everybody wants to play that format. Yeah. It's It's been the eternal format since Legacy went away. Rest in peace. Uh, I think this is solid, and like I said, it's a trend highlight. There's cards like Counterspell mm-hmm. or Impulse, which obviously we have an original art Impulse. This is just a more approachable form of Impulse. There's a lot of cards in this set that are going to bottom out, and because they are not Force of Will, you will have an opportunity to make a very good amount of money on them. Yep. Uh, old Border Counterspells are pretty good, I hear, because uh, the other ones we have are hundreds of dollars. So this is the most approachable way you have it unless you want to get the awful original art from that promo. But that's where I'm at. I think it's decent. Uh, I think the set Dom R is terrible. 
but I think it will be very heavily opened and there will be a lot of opportunity for financial growth on stuff like Retro Border Street Wraith, Retro Border Counterspell. Yeah. Stuff like that has a lot of room to grow long term. I think something to go along with everything that you've been talking about is there are a lot of, and I'll use the term fan favorite cards in here, but I don't mean it the way a lot of people are going to think. Yeah. Street Wraith is a good example of what I mean in that Dredge in Modern and Dredge in Legacy are not pet decks. No. The people that play them will always keep them sleeved. They are ready to go, and they might just play them all the time, regardless of whether or not the overall format is hostile to them or not. Yeah. So there always exists the opportunity that there is a Dredge player locally. There is a Cycle Storm player locally. There is a Mono Black popper a model by control popper player locally locally yeah that will pick these up from your binder because either they don't have them yet they were too expensive for the future site version or they want to quote unquote upgrade which is generally what happens when people play those decks forever yep. they build up their equity in some way shape or form and then they dump it for stuff like this when they want to quote unquote upgrade right. and dom remastered is like full of that stuff with yeah. the old border empty the warrens the that was in there we mentioned um the absorb there's yeah. the the counter spell the force of will i think maybe urza's incubator incubator's good yeah there's a uh, lot of really good ones in here yeah it's it can be a banger there, there's as yeah, as an overall set goes i think it's very frenetic but when it comes to stuff like this and cards for Fan, like fan favorite cards for fan favorite decks there's a lot of opportunity for that and so engaging with the set from a single standpoint to do stuff like that to upcycle some of this stuff i think is the better look than trying to say like okay if i look at all the versions of birds of paradise compared against all the versions of worldly tutor worldly tutor is considerably cheaper than birds of paradise so let me buy in on worldly tutor like no, that's probably not the case. You probably want to buy a couple because, yeah, Worldly hasn't been reprinted, but that bird is going to be the better option overall because more people play decks with Birds of Paradise yep. than Worldly Tutor. Between because all, all the possible... Worldly Tutor EDH decks are playing birds, but so are all the 60-card formats. It, there it is. All the 60-card formats are also playing birds. So that that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about, and I think there's a lot of opportunity for that kind of upcycling and that kind of money to make, especially if you want to do this stuff locally in trades, knowing your local metagame can be really important for this and allows you to target specific people. Yeah. I I think the thing too is, especially with cards like Street Wraith and those pet decks, it's also the kind of thing that is, it makes the format approachable because it's never a particularly expensive deck to make usually because it is like a glass cannon type of thing. So you know what? Hey, I'm going to start getting into modern. Well, dredge is affordable. Yeah. Oh, well, cool. You've got these street race for, you know, 10 bucks, whatever done. Just take them. Like that's, that's the kind of thing that sets like time spiral remaster, like Dom remastered kind of lend themselves to is these like fan favorite decks and archetypes do get those upgrades. Keep an eye out for it. It's a really easy way to park some money, low risk, decent return, get rid of it one day eventually for a profit. Really, really safe stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So I think continuing to hammer on this with some very good looks is a, a, 
a great option overall, and I'm I'm glad we're looking at a card from Don Remastered for this. Yeah. So uh, I think that's going to be it for me this week. Anything else on your end? Nope. All right. Nope. So for at MTG Cavalcast on Twitter, Patreon, Facebook, and YouTube, I am at Halt I am Reptar. You are at Thirsty Sizzler. And we'll see you next week. So seriously, it's a fucking riffraff on-card auto. There's probably coke on this card. <laughs>